You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And um, I know there's a game on this afternoon. And you have one of two choices. That's it. It's uh, that time of year. It's either the Patriots or the Eagles. So I don't want to know which one because I'll get razzed no matter which side I choose. So I just watch the game in private. You know, that's just kind of what I do and enjoy the football. That's what I do. Hey, listen, I want to take a, a, just a few moments this morning and um, I want us to pray together. Uh, Canby has had a tough couple weeks. Um, we've had two suicides of young men. Uh, one was Thursday and one was um, last Monday. And we are walking with those families through all of this. We're doing, taking time, we're spending time with families. It's just so devastating, as you can imagine. Devastating. And what we want to do is just bring God's grace, and we want to bring His abundant life. So what we want to do is we want to pray for those families. We want to pray for the kids and the, the, um, the, the uh, young people that are connected to these that have, who, who have left, who are, who are not with us anymore. But I'm going to also ask that you pray for our first responders. I've been on the phone almost every day with our first responders, talking to them about what's happening, what they're seeing, what they're going through. Uh, we have a wonderful first responding group in this community. We are very blessed with the fire department, the police department, and we want to continue to pray for them. And this is what we're going to do. We're setting aside next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, from 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening, this sanctuary will be open for prayer. So that we, we, we want to invite you to come in. If you want to come in and pray, spend some time in prayer. And what we're doing is we're just praying over our community, over our families, over our young people. And we're going to encourage you, if you have young people, if you have teenagers, please talk to them. Be open. Share with them what's going on. Talk to them about uh, mental health issues, uh, suicide, those things we want to bring out into the open and bring into the light and say, here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ brings light and it brings life. And we want to continue to do that. Please continue to pray for these families. They desperately need your prayers. Uh, the moms and dads desperately need your prayers. And so I want to thank you for being a praying church. Just remember, Wednesday from 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening, we'll be open here. It will be just a time where we can come in and pray. We can just seek the heart of the Lord. So let's do that together. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We come to you for life and light. Lord, where there's darkness, dispel it. Your word says that in you there is no darkness, no darkness at all. And so, Lord, let our uh, community, let our families, let our young people see the light of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, wherever there's hopelessness or despair, that you would come in, rush in with your great and mighty presence. Lord, we just thank you. We just thank you for your saving power. We thank you for the fact that you rescue us and you keep us, Lord. We just pray a covering of grace over this community, uh, over, Lord Jesus, our families, our young people. We pray in Jesus' name that there would be um, a light and life once again that would shine. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and we say together, amen, amen. Let's do that together. I I, I really do. I want to do that with you. Well, today we begin, and you're part of a new series called Genuinely Living for Jesus, and really it's about a journey of loving others. 
Uh, that's really what it is and what it looks like to genu- genuinely live for Jesus. Now, the first book of Thessalonians is where we're going to be. So if you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 1 today. And 1 Thessalonians is about a church who the Apostle Paul says genuinely lived for Jesus. Now, that's an incredible commendation coming from someone like the Apostle Paul. Uh, This is a church that Paul planted with a handful of people in a town called Thessalonica. Now what's amazing about this church, what's really amazing about this church, is Paul was only there in Thessalonica for maybe three or four weeks, and out of those three or four weeks, an amazing thing happened. A church started, a vibrant church, a a church that lived for Jesus, that was dedicated for Jesus, but this is what Paul does, and this is amazing. It's amazing that you have that kind of life come from just a short period of time that Paul was there. Now, this letter is the very first letter or epistle that Paul writes. It was written probably around A.D. 50, 51, 52, right in there. Uh, He planted this church on a second missionary journey. There are five chapters And what I want to do for you is just kind of go over those five chapters because that's where we're going to be spending time for the next five weeks. And you need to know a little bit about what those five chapters entail. Chapter one is about having the right heart. It's really about having the right motives, doing the right things for the right reasons. Chapter two is about having the right, as a church, having the right process or method, doing what needs to be done. And getting it done well that honors and glorifies Jesus. Chapter 3 is about having the right focus and resolve. You know, sometimes we can have these great initiatives, but they stop halfway through because it gets hard and it gets difficult, it gets tough. And what Paul says here in this particular chapter, chapter 3, he says, hey, endure. Just endure. Have patience. Have a resolve to follow Jesus Christ. And that's really what we probably need to hear today as well. Just follow Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 is about having the right Lord and serving him well. What does it look like to serve Jesus well? And then chapter 5 is about having the right frame of mind. And the right frame of mind in chapter 5 is, hey, it isn't all about what's going on right now, today. It's about the second coming of Jesus Christ and that he is coming again. And that's what the Apostle Paul says, Jesus is coming again. And he, and he tells this, this young church, because they were young at the time that he wrote this letter, he, he, he tells them, listen, have the right frame of mind. Have the right perspective that Jesus Christ is coming again so you have that kind of hope. When you read these uh, five chapters, uh, th- there's a purpose here. In fact, there's probably a threefold purpose. The best I can tell when I read First uh, Thessalonians uh, and Second Thessalonians, there's some good meat here. There's some good things to take a hold of. In First Thessalonians, he, he tells us three things. One is, he writes this letter to ground them in the great truths of the Christian faith. Now, isn't this great? It's wonderful because he has this young community of believers... Uh, He hasn't been removed from them very long, and he writes back to them and says, here, I want to talk to you about what what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ, what it means to live out that faith in community, and that's really what he does. That's one of the purposes he writes. Another one is to inform them and remind them of the Lord's return. That's one reason I I like 1 Thessalonians is because that's what the Apostle Paul does. And he kind of weaves it in to his teachings. You'll hear it a few times, but really you hear the the trumpet. The trumpet sounds in chapter 5. And so Paul reminds this young group, hey, this is why you're here. This is the purpose. Keep these things in mind. And the third thing is to challenge them not to give up. 
Basically, what he's saying is you've got to stick with it. And isn't it interesting in most of Paul's writings that always plays into what he says? As far as his encouragement, he's always saying, hey, stick with it. Hold on. Stay with it. Just keep walking and you'll, you'll, you'll be rewarded. And that's really what the Apostle Paul wants us to know through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So what I want you to do is if you have your Bible, open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. I love this passage of Scripture. In fact, 1 Thessalonians is one of my favorite of all time. Uh, In fact, next week, uh, we're going to go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 was the first passage of Scripture I preached on at New Life Foursquare, KMB Foursquare, when I came 30 years ago. So I I, I see just some, it's beautiful. And I love the way that Paul says, you guys are great people. You are such a great church, and I love you so much. And he, and he declares that love. And by the way, this is one book that he is probably uh, the, the most transparent about his feelings towards this church. You know, there are other things that he writes, and it's pretty theological, doctrinal, and, and that's good. But here he just begins to tell them how much he loves them. And how much he appreciates them. Uh, Probably another place that I would go as far as his transparency and love would be the book of Philemon. And what he says about how much he loves Onesimus. Well, he does similar things in 1 Thessalonians. So, see what you think when you read this passage of Scripture beginning at verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope, faith, hope, and love in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. What an assurance. What a beautiful thing. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn from Uh, to, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, 10 verses, how much can you pack into 10 verses? He packs a lot in these 10 verses. And what I want to do with you is just maybe unpack it a little bit and look at it and see what is he, what is he saying here? So what are some of the principles that we can learn from their example, the church of Thessalonica? What are the examples here that we can pick up on? Number one is this. They worked with the right heart. That's what it says in verses 2, 3, and 4. It says, we always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father that your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. This church had the right heart. 
And I'm going to tell you something. That, that's something to be, that we need to, to, to shout from the mountaintops. It, it's good to see a church right here that is living for the right reasons, has the right heart. And this is the kind of heart that God wants to give us and continue to, I, I think, empower us to live like these people right here. Their work, first of all, was produced by faith. Their work wasn't produced by ambition. Their work wasn't produced by selfishness. Their work wasn't produced because they were going to get a promotion. We see a lot of that today. Their work was produced out of faith in Jesus Christ. They basically are saying, we're going to work hard and we're going to do what we've been asked to do. We're going to be obedient to God's Holy Spirit. And we're doing this out of faith, sheer faith, that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were a group of people whose work was produced by faith. They were, write this down, they were a supernatural church. They were a supernatural church. Listen, you you, you got to know that today. And there's a lot being said about the supernatural I mean, some of the greatest hits right now, I think, on Netflix and other places are about supernatural things, stranger things. You go and look around, a lot of the supernatural stuff is out there. People are interested in the supernatural stuff. Here's the deal. We have the real, authentic, life-changing, supernatural stuff going on in us and with us and in the life of community. It happens in the church. It happens in the body of Christ. We are a supernatural group of people. We don't get things done naturally. We get things done supernatural. And so we need to know that that's the label that we've been given. That's how we've been marked by the Holy Spirit. We've been marked by the Holy Spirit to do supernatural things. And that includes all of us. You know, sometimes, well, we'll leave it up to, we'll leave it up to the clergy to do that. Or we'll, we'll leave it up to the people who really know what they're doing. Listen, the Bible says that all of us can experience the supernatural works of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not exclusive to anyone. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can operate in the supernatural. The Bible tells us that this is the way that we can live. In verse 5, Paul says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. What Paul's saying here is we just didn't come and talk to you about it. We did use our words. We preached We shared the good news, but that's not the only thing we used. That's not the only thing that you witnessed when we were among you. It wasn't just the words we spoke, but there was power in what was happening. Lives were being changed. And I think probably the most powerful thing that we can witness on this planet is when our lives are changed. I mean, there's a lot of things that are are good and wonderful, but I, I don't think there's anything more powerful and wonderful than to see a transformed life. To see someone who was not redeemed who is redeemed. To to see someone who's not walking with Jesus is walking with Jesus. To see somebody that used to be in chains and in bondage is set free. To me, most powerful thing that happens on the planet is that. It's our lives are changed. And Paul said, when I came to you, I came to you that way. Not just using my words, but you witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit changing lives. And that's what he says. He says, I came not only with uh, the words and with power, but we came with the Holy Spirit. And this is really about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians chapter 4 talks to us about constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what your practice is. I don't know what your discipline is. But I do know that a rule of life for me is that when I wake up in the morning, I want to practice the gifts and the power of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, so I just begin to, to, to speak In the name of Jesus, I begin to speak in the gifted tongue that he's given me. I just begin to speak because what I want to know is I want to know and see the power of God's Holy Spirit. 
And I'll tell you this, the power of God's Holy Spirit um, is a power that is with you wherever you go, even when you're alone, even when you're by yourself, even when you don't think anyone else cares or notices, the Holy Spirit of God is with you. He says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I don't know how tremendous uh, you've experienced, in a tremendous way you've experienced that. I have in a lot of different ways, just feeling totally, I mean, by myself, alone. And then, wow, the presence of the Holy Spirit comes in like a flood. And and then it says here, Paul says, and it also comes with deep conviction. That's where life changes. It's It's that deep conviction that we are the church of Jesus Christ, and we believe his presence is here working in us and through us. That's our declaration. I'll say it again. We believe his presence is here working in and through us. That's what happens in community. That's what happens in life. Jesus, listen to this, I love this. Jesus is attracted to to where believers are. Uh, Jesus wants to be where you are and where you are with other believers. He wants to be there. The word says where two or three of you are gathered. Hey, I want to hang out. I want to be with you. And the promise is that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That he will never leave us or forsake us. Now, I love this part where it says, and with deep conviction, I don't know... If you've ever experienced this before, I know a lot of people have, and you've experienced it in this community of believers where you didn't even know what was happening in your heart. I mean, you've walked in these doors, um, maybe, maybe not as a believer. Maybe you came in just kind of a, a seeking and, and, and asking a lot of questions about God and life, and you came in, and what you begin to experience is you begin to feel the presence of God, and you knew that the presence of God was real. I don't know how many people have said this to me over the years. I I walked in, minding my own business, and all of a sudden I've experienced the presence of God. And one one of the first reactions is like, what is this, you know, what is this salty substance, you know? Why why am I crying? By the way, do you notice that there's a bunch of these laying uh, around? It's on purpose. Because I'll tell you, when the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, when we are deeply convicted, that's one of the things that happens. I had a guy tell me just, uh, it was just a few years ago, um, he, he's, 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 he was seeking the Lord. We were having a great conversation about God and about Jesus and about the universe and about the Bible and about everything you could talk about. And I just would listen and ask questions, and he loved it. And uh, one day he came to church, and he said, I innocently walked into that building. And then when he left, he texted me, and he had a few, you know, he was he, he, just, he said, what? What just happened to me? He, said, he used some colorful language, but he said, what just happened to me? He said, I was minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I like feel warm from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. What, what happened to me? I said, what do you think happened to you? And he writes back in big, big bold print, God, you know, and exclamation. I said, yeah, probably. I, said, I sent back, and I said, why don't we talk about it? We'll sit down and talk about it. Wow, we did. We talked about that, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ the next week. He said, man, I can't, what do I, I can't ignore this. This is something that's changed my life. This is a relationship that changed my life. So here's what's happening to you. If you experience that, the Holy Spirit is embracing you with God's love. His love for you, you cannot earn. Please get that out of your repertoire of thinking. Because it doesn't happen that way. Why does he love you? He loves you because he loves you. That's, that's it. 
He loves you because he loves you, but you're embraced by the love of God. You realize you need to change. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing deep conviction. So let me say this about church, and that was, this is true about the church of Thessalonica. Uh, church is about what you hear. It's about what you see going on around you. The encouragement you get when you see the interaction of other brothers and sisters and other folks in the faith, and it's about what you feel. I think sometimes, and I know when I was growing up, it it was like, let's just exclude your feelings. Uh, I couldn't do that because the Holy Spirit would really move deep in my spirit and I could feel the Holy Spirit moving in my life. That's authentic. That's real. That's transformative. I, I want that. So it's about what I hear, about what I see, and about what I feel. Now, here's something else Paul says. They had this, their labor was prompted by love. Or Their labor was prompted by love. They were a selfless church. Not only were they a supernatural church, they were a selfless church. They get commended over and over and over again by how much they kept giving and giving and giving. Paul, in fact, says, you know, when no one gave, when no one helped me, when no one supported, you were there. You supported me. Can you imagine what a lifeline that is? I mean, when you're desperate and and that there's that, that... that, that one person or two people that just bring a kind word or bring something, a timely, a timely word, a timely gift, that is manna. I mean, that is really manna from heaven. Paul says this about this church. He said, you're so generous, you don't even think about giving. You just give. That's what you do. That's who you are. It's your DNA. It's what you're about. By the way, when I do teach on giving, and you guys know this, I always go to chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. It's a great model for giving. That's a great model for giving. But Paul says, you guys just keep giving and giving and giving. I don't know if you ever, uh, ever heard this story. It was during the First World War. And um, there was a medic that knew he had to, he had to run over to where a, a, a grenade had gone off. Uh, and he had gone over there and he saw the devastation. He just looked and he saw the devastation, the human carnage. And he tried to find out who was alive and who was dead. And what a horrible thing that is, but he did. And he looked down and he saw one young man was still alive, but he was missing his arm. His arm was gone. And he thought to himself, i got to tell him. He, he's, I, I, I need to tell him the truth. I need to tell him what's happening. And so he leaned down and he whispered in his ear. He, he said, you lost your arm. You lost your arm. And immediately he shot back and he said, I didn't lose my arm. I gave my arm. I didn't lose it. I gave it. I gave it. What a perspective. Jesus didn't lose his life. He gave his life. There's a huge difference. And there's a huge difference in our perspective on how we look at life. Do we think about losing time? Or do we think about giving time? You know, when we're asked to serve, when we're asked to do something, is it like we calculate and say, man, I'm going to be losing some time here. Well, you can think of it that way. You can think of it that way. Or do you look at it and say, wow, I'm giving time, man. I'm giving time. Do you think about when you give money, are you losing money or are you giving money? My giving is an investment into God's kingdom. And I have to say this. There's a lot of things that, that, that I struggled with over the years. There are a lot of things that I bumped up against in my faith, just kind of really grappling with it. You know, hard stuff, just wondering and thinking and working through it. But this one thing, this one thing has not been a struggle for me. And that is when I give, I give to the kingdom 
and I give an investment, and it is the best investment on the planet that has lasted longer than the stock market. Always. And I, that's not hyperbole. That, that's not just, I'm not jerking you around when I say, well, yeah, you've got to say that you're a pastor. No, not really. I don't have to say that. I love it because I get to invest. Listen, I don't do what I do to lose something. I choose to give something because it's an investment. How do you look at your life? How do you look at your time? How do you look at your resources? This church in Thessalonica had this whole thing of, you know what? We're not losing anything. We're gaining. We're giving and we're gaining. So something else happens here. Uh, Their labor was prompted by love, but here's something else. Uh, Their endurance inspired by hope. They were a steadfast church. They, they just, they knew, they stayed steadfast because they trusted in what God was doing in their life and there would be good fruit, a reward. That's hope. That keeps us going. You know what, right now, can I, I'm going to say this, right now, there are a lot of people right now in our community that need you to hope for them because they can't hope for themselves. These places that I've showed up in the last 10 days in people's homes, in their houses, in their relationships, what do they need They need someone just to come alongside and bring hope when it's hard for them to hope for themselves. When it's hard for them to hope for their future. People need people like you that hope for them. I'm going to tell you this. Maybe you have just a little bit of hope. That's okay. You can still give it. Somebody needs your hope. Somebody needs that lifeline. It's being steadfast. And I'll... Out of all the things I think I would say we need today, it's, it, it's, and the world needs today, it's steadfastness. What families need, steadfastness. What do communities need, steadfastness. What do churches need, steadfastness. That's what this church of Thessalonica is really all about. Now, the reason I'm saying that we need to be steadfast is because, you know, I'm spending time with people and younger people that are compelled, they're, they're compelled now to try to reinvent themselves. And they're only 28 years old. I mean, I didn't even think about reinventing myself until I was like in my 50s. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, but maybe I'm behind. I don't know. But here's what I'm saying. That we're not satisfied with the things that God has given us. We're not satisfied with who God has made us to be. So we're constantly looking on how do I reinvent myself. Now I'm not talking about getting better. We want to get better. We want to improve. I'm talking about just total reinventing. I don't like who I was. I want to be someone else. At the core of who these people are. They're saying they don't like it. Listen, that's where we need the transformative work of God's Holy Spirit. And when, it's, when he works in us, that's when we have hope. That's when we have hope. It's being steadfast. Being steadfast. I'm going to tell you, steadfast kind of is, uh, ladies, I'm going to see if you agree with me. Steadfast is kind of the new sexy. You know? I mean, really, when I was thinking, man, what is, what's, what? Listen, girls, you, you, you don't want a sexy man. You want a steadfast man. And that just happened to get both. But, you know, that's just the way it works. I don't know how that, you know. And I'm a legend in my own mind. He's smiling. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Steadfast in marriage. Steadfast in life. The Thessalonians were a steadfast church. What a commendation. Now let's move on. Here's the next point. This church was encouraged by the right mentors. 
See, they, they had the right heart, the right motives, but they were also a church that was, they, they, were, they were encouraged by the right mentors. This is huge. I want everyone to listen to this because we don't talk about this enough unless you're in my um, pastoral leadership and, um, and theology class, which I'm teaching right now out of the book of Philemon. This is one of the things that we probably spend six or eight hours on talking about modeling and mentoring. What does that look like for me to have a model of mentor? What does it look like for me to be a model or a mentor for others? It's huge today. We desperately need this today. And here's what Paul says in verses six and seven. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. This wasn't an easy boat to be on right here. They're saying that we we wanted to imitate. Paul's saying, you imitated us. You modeled us. You, You let us mentor you, and it was in the most difficult and severe places of suffering I don't know how many times I throw up the white flag when I get a hangnail. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm done. These people are doing this in the middle of great trial and tribulation, suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. You became a model. Everyone was watching you because that, 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 the word got out. <laughs> the word got out that you guys know how to do this. That you know how to... Find and follow mentors, and you know how to be mentors. And I think that's, isn't that what we say around here? It's in another way we say making disciples who make disciples for Jesus. That's what's happening here. That, that's what Paul is commending here in this place. Make disciples who make disciples for, for Jesus. This is so huge today. I think about our lost young men, our lost young women. Where are they going? Who are they finding that they can follow that, 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 that can show them the way of God's salvation. Please don't pull back from that. That's why we're here. That's what we've been called to do. This is so huge. We need to seek out the right mentors. These are people who are living life for Jesus Christ just ahead of us. You know, They're just ahead of us a little ways. Those are the people that we want to pay attention to. Now, I remember a phenomenon that happened here a long time ago. Um, it was when I was, w- was young, which was a long time ago. And um, all the folks around me were young. We, we all had young kids. We were all young. And, and I remember pulling, a, pulling them together and saying, aren't you guys nervous? Does, are, aren't you nervous? Doesn't this make you nervous that, that we are the smartest people in the room and we're only in our early 30s? Doesn't that make you nervous? Because it makes me really nervous. Because if I'm the smartest person in the room, we are really done. And that's what I want to encourage today. There has to be generational mixes. If, if I go to a church and it's all me, I'm thinking, whoa, <laughs> I know what all me looks like. I know where this can go and it's not good. I want to... I want, to, I want to learn as much as I can from as many people as I can, especially those who are on the curve just, just ahead of me. So you know what I did with this group? I challenged them. I said, hey, let's pray, for, let's pray for some older people to come. And they, we said, okay, we did. Next Sunday, uh, never forget this, Tom and Dorothy Williamson. Tom of uh, Tom's Pancakes. Tom and Dorothy walked into the door, and they'd never been so treated so well in all their lives. We said, there they are. That's what we need. We need this. And some of you, actually, that are here today, 
brought the same thing, the same kind of gift to us. There's just something about safety and there's security in Jesus that comes by this right here, by looking around and saying, wow, we have some people that have gone ahead of us a little way. Let me give you three areas of mentoring really quick here. This is what you'd get in my class. So you're getting, they're paying for it. By the way, they pay for tuition. You're not on this one, okay? Unless you want to down the road. Here it is. By the way, CBC, come pay for the class, okay? Uh, you'll get more of this. They're biblical mentors. Uh, these, are, these are people who teach us what to do. And I love this about God's word. Can I say this? They teach us what not to do. <laughs> uh, that's what I love about God's word. It doesn't, it doesn't varnish over things. It says, hey, do this, but don't do that. That person really messed up. And we learn from people's mistakes. Biblical mentors are invaluable. We, that's why we read God's word. Paul mentors Timothy and Titus. He says right here, Jesus, he did pretty good. He, he, he lost one, but he had a pretty good track record there, mentoring. Don't you think it turned out pretty well? I mean, you're benefiting from it today. He had, he, it was mentoring. And so when we read God's word, when we study God's word, we're, we're, we're getting life. It's, it's a living, living document that's sharper than any two-edged sword. But what we can learn from here is we can learn from the people that we read about in Scripture. These are biblical mentors. Now the second thing you have is historical mentors. Do you know what those folks are? These are people who mentor us even though they've passed. They're not around anymore. But they still mentor us. Think about it. I think about my grandparents. My, my, you know, just the other day I was thinking about what, what my grandpa would say right now. He had these great ways of just cutting through everything. You know what I'm saying? One of those guys that just, boop, and you'd go, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Called him one time. I was a young pastor. I was uh, in an office on the third floor. I was so mad. I was just ticked out, off at everybody. You know, I was just mad at what was going on. And I called him. I said, Grandpa, I am just really ticked off right now. I could throw my chair through this window. It was really quiet. He listened. And then he said this. Yeah, you could, but you'd have to clean up the mess. Wow. You're right, and I want to do that. That's good for life, by the way, folks. Think about what you're going to say and do before you do it because you're going to have to clean up the mess. What a word. I still think about that. I still think about that. There are people that are in our lives that are gone. They've passed. Old pastors, old leaders, old, these folks that were in our lives that, are, that they're, still, they're, they're still speaking to us. Um, I think about my pastor, Alan Hamilton. I still think of some of the things he would say to me. They're still mentoring. So you have these historical mentors that are both church figures, but they're also world leaders. I don't know what you... I love history, so I dive in. I'm always curious to find out, what does Abraham Lincoln say about this? Or what does Churchill say about this? What does C.S. Lewis or Tolkien or those guys, what are they saying about some of this stuff? What are they doing? They're mentoring me. They're historical mentors. Don't miss out on that. It's huge. It's huge. And then the last is a contemporary mentors. These are people who are in and around you today. They're, they're, they're in and around you today. Surround yourself with some of these folks. I have a group of, of folks I surround myself with. These are the elders here. And we get together. And you know what? You know what their main responsibility is? It's certainly to be an elder here. But <laughs> it's to elder me because I need it more than you. So these guys, uh, you know, we, we were together last week. Some of you asked, do we have elders? Yeah, we do. You do in Foursquare policy. Just so you know, it's not an official group of people that it's looked at. The Foursquare polity has our council, and those are great leaders, and they mentor as well. But I just wanted to show you this group. And so, when you spend time with people like this, there's things that we grow in. There's things that we we develop. 
And uh, it can only happen uh, through relationship and mentoring. So please remember, look for this today. It's, it's huge. And then I'm going to finish with this. Live, uh, th- this church, they live for the right reasons. Um, they really did live for the right reasons. In verses 9 and 10, it says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There's a couple of things here that just stand out. I mean, they just stand out to me when I read this. One is they lived in freedom. You see what it says here? These are people who lived in freedom. It says you turned to God from what? From idols. You, you left your idols. That wasn't an easy thing to do, but you did it. You left the idols of your day, of your time, of your family, of your history, of your heritage. You left those idols to serve the living and true God. And I love the way that Paul, just notice how Paul sneaks that word in there. He says living. <laughs> What's he implying? The idols you used to serve, they're dead. They can't say one thing to you. They can't give you direction. They can't give you wisdom. They can't come and comfort you. They cannot come and inspire you. They are dead. Idols are dead. You serve a true and living God. A true and living God who brings wisdom, who brings life. You know, it says here, you, you know, Paul's saying, you, just, you used to just serve this, this little idol. And that idol would, would change uh, based on your whims or how you felt, <laughs> you know? Uh, you might have a different idol when you're 15. You might have a different idol when you're 25, a different one when you're... Th- they're, all, they, 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 they're not steady. They can't speak. They're dead. They don't offer you anything. Paul's saying, it's the living God here. He is alive right now, and he is living right now, and he's speaking to you right now. There's no idol that can ever do that. But he also says here, they lived in freedom, but they also, they lived in anticipation to wait for his son from heaven. There's this anticipation that you aren't waiting for just the next thing, that you're not invested in, well, hey, I'm just going to, hey, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket, and I'm going to just, I can't wait six months from now. I cannot wait. I put everything in this vacation. Now, I think vacations are good, and you should take them. But how many have done that? That you put all this in it, you couldn't wait, you couldn't wait, you couldn't wait, and the vacation didn't turn out nearly like you thought it was supposed to turn out. Paul's saying here, that's not what happens when you anticipate Jesus Christ and what he's going to do in your life, what he's going to do in your life tomorrow and the next day, and ultimately when he comes again. There's nothing that compares to that. Paul says here, you anticipate. They lived in anticipation. And then the last thing I'll finish with this. They lived redeemed lives. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. They lived redeemed lives. They knew they were redeemed people. I, I don't know if you do this. I, 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 I want to do this more. I want to practice this more. I want to practice every day where I spend just a moment remembering that I've been rescued. It's a good thing. Because if you don't take time to remember that someone rescued you, Jesus Christ, you will start to think you rescued yourself. And that's impossible. You cannot. There's no drowning man or woman that can rescue themselves. 
The rescue comes from the outside in. That's where it comes. It comes from Jesus Christ, who came from heaven, who dwelt among us, who lived a sinless life, who died a sacrificial death, atoned for our sins, and rose again. That is a redeemed life. And I want to remember. I, want to tr- I was doing that the other day. Lord, I don't think enough. I don't realize enough how much I've been rescued. That is living a gracious, redeemed life. And I'm just going to challenge you. Let me challenge you with two things. I'm going to finish with this, two things. Would you take a little time and think about maybe five minutes today? Um, Lord, you rescued me. Think about his rescuing process in your life. Remarkable. It's remarkable. Sometimes it's a little painful, by the way. But it's good to remember that. The other thing I'd like you to do, I want to encourage you to do this. Remember I said earlier about mentors? If you have mentors in your life, people that you know have led you and mentored, would you send them a little, send them a note. I've been, Annette and I try to practice that. We have people in our lives, we just want to say, hey, thank you. <laughs> Man, this timely word or what you said, you said it perfectly. Don't hesitate, don't hesitate to let them know you appreciate them. That's, a, that's an attitude of gratitude. And I remember one poignant moment for me is I was being asked by God's Holy Spirit. I was in Denver, I was doing a a leadership thing with some pastors, and the Lord just said, you know, you need, to get a hold of, you need to get a hold of an old mentor of yours named Tom Ferguson. Tom Ferguson was our district supervisor. He was a pastor of Foursquare Church in Everett. I love Tom. Tom and Rhonda opened so many doors for Annette and I. And when we were young leaders, they just, they just, just mentored us. And I didn't want to. I was tired. I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't really want to. I don't want to do that. I'm tired. You know, like there's a two-hour difference. You know how you do that? Mountain time is different than Pacific Standard Time, and that's a good reason not to do it. It's not, but that's the way you think. And so I picked up the phone, and I called Tom. And I said, Tom, I I just need to tell you how much, Annette, and I love you and Rhonda and appreciate you, how much you've done for us, how many doors you opened for us, the opportunities you gave us to lead and to, to, to be fruitful. You did it. You helped us. Of course, guys like that say, oh, no, you guys did it. You know how that goes. It's that kind of conversation. And I said, no, I just need to call you, tell you I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Hung up the phone the next morning. I went to this meeting. When I got to this meeting, the first news I heard is that Tom passed away that night. Went to be with Jesus after our conversation. It was like within 15 or 20 minutes. He was not in Everett. He was in heaven. Heaven's a lot better than Everett. And I went, wow, Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Because I got to tell him something, probably the last person. What a privilege that is. Tell that person that's given you an opportunity, who has made a way for you, tell them thank you. Jesus, we want to thank you today for your redemption in our life, that you have rescued us. We're all too weak to rescue ourselves. We don't don't have even that kind of creativity or intelligence to be able to rescue ourselves. Anytime we try, we just get further and further in trouble. But you came along, and you redeemed us. And we thank you for that redemption in our lives. Lord, I pray for those today that that are looking, that are seeking, that there would be redemption. They, They would know that when they call on the name of the Lord, they will be rescued. The word says rescued or saved. We will be rescued. We thank you for your power and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.